0: All right, let's heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this privilege, this wonderful privilege, this honor of gathering together as family this evening in the unity of the faith. Father, thank you so much for the completed canon of Scripture. For this is the very wellspring where we find the mind of your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy and your patience. Thank you for revealing to us your sovereignty and never allowing us to stray too far from it, understanding that you are righteous and just in everything that you do, everything that you've planned, everything you have planned for each one of us as individuals and even as a ministry. Father, we pray for those not able to be here with us this evening as members of the congregation. We want them to know that we are with them in spirit and that we would like to see their faces again as soon as possible. Your will be done, of course. We pray also for those still lost in this world, Father, and we're so grateful for the opportunity we might have in evangelizing them so that we might see them as brothers and sisters moving forward. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt, to make an evening like this a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, why are the apostles so encouraging? By grace they were prepared, part 43. Uh, One last time, go to Proverbs 4, 5. Scott mentioned this on Tuesday. Anytime he reviews something this much, uh, it behooves us to listen up. Proverbs 4, verse 5. Obviously, a familiar passage by this point, I would hope. Spirits had an awful lot to say about faith and wisdom uh, with the opening of each one of our lessons as of late. So hopefully we're nice and comfortable with this. Uh, and it's a, a, a massive principle that we need to cling to. Proverbs 4, 5, Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth do not forsake her wisdom and she will guard you love her and she will watch over you the beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom the beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom in other words it's wise to wish and desire to acquire more wisdom it's the first step if you would so the beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom and with all your acquiring get understanding or discernment if you would up here on the board on that topic of gaining wisdom the first step in gaining wisdom of course is motivation so the first step in gaining wisdom is to seek it seek diligently and you shall find when you possess it you are granted understanding it is then that you are able to discern between good and evil context changes gradations etc we talked about this a little bit on sunday Again, when you find and possess said wisdom, after seeking it diligently, you're granted something wonderful called understanding. And the Bible translates that discernment, even which is more than just understanding. You know something like the Bible exists, or that there's holy Scripture out there, or uh, understanding how to read it, or understanding generically what the Lord said in, in the in the Gospels. Um, we're granted understanding or discernment and when you're able when you are given these things you're able to discern between good and evil and make this personal good and evil in your own life you're able to discern context changes in your own life what's good for you today might not have good been good for you uh, yesterday or might not be good for you even tomorrow so there are context changes and there are gradations as well Uh, you maybe this much of something is good for you but not this much Or maybe this much is good for you, but not this much. Who knows? That's the discernment that is uh, imparted to you when you're given wisdom and then understanding. But again, it all begins with motivation. If you're arrogant, you don't even fear the Lord. You're not seeking wisdom from Scripture. You're not seeking the mind of Christ. You're seeking your own form of wisdom. We might call that human wisdom. And that always is exacerbated, or excuse me, exhausted at the end of the day. So it behooves us again to seek this kind of wisdom. As the Spirit's been pointing out, faith is what precedes true wisdom. And without faith, how much conviction do you expect to have in your so-called wisdom? Let me say that again. Faith is what precedes true wisdom. Without faith, how much conviction do you expect to have in your so-called wisdom? In other words, if you proclaim to know something, if you proclaim to understand something, if you proclaim to be able to discern things like good and evil, context changes, gradations, but you have no faith, how long is that going to last? How well is that going to hold up under pressure? Anybody want to raise their hand this evening and say there's no pressure in your life? Therefore, at the end of the day, this is what the Spirit's been saying. Faith is among the greatest treasures we seek. And we know that faith is a gift, for God gives a measure of, each, uh, of it to each of us. So faith is a gift. God gives grace to who? The humble. So you have to be humble. You have to receive said faith by grace. So faith is among the greatest treasures we seek. As the Bible states, the beginning of wisdom is acquire it. So it makes sense that Solomon asked for wisdom first. Second Chronicles 1.10. I'm going quickly because these are points of review. Second Chronicles one ten. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people for who can rule this great people of yours? What was Solomon's motivation? Did he say I wanted wisdom and knowledge just for me? No, he wanted to serve. Doesn't that sound like Jesus Christ? It's greater. The greatest among you shall be what? The servants. And this is what Solomon wanted wisdom and knowledge for, not so he could go out and, you know, create a huge bank account, although God gave him a lot of money after the fact. He wanted wisdom to serve. He wanted knowledge, discernment, to be able to serve. So give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people for whom, uh, for who uh, can rule this people of yours. Again, the principle the Spirit's been developing is that faith precedes wisdom. So God gives faith to the humble so that the resulting godly wisdom is shown through vessels of mercy, bringing glory to God. So it's good for God even to give you faith that leads to wisdom, that leads to discernment. Why? Because we're supposed to be lights on a hill. We reflect His glory in time. By what? Doing His will. How? By His grace. Therefore, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Why does God give us faith? To please him. To bring glory to him. Without faith it's impossible to please him. Hebrews 11:6. You might cry out then, I want faith. Like the apostles did. Who doesn't want faith? Who doesn't want conviction? Who doesn't want wisdom? Who right now under the pressure you just laughed about doesn't want discernment? What do I do, Lord? What do I do in this situation? Who here doesn't have options? Don't go there. (laughs) You know what I mean. Who's not faced with even godly options? We all are. So you might cry out, I want faith. I want conviction. But maybe the problem is that you've never been on your knees or you haven't been on your knees asking God for it. Maybe you just demand it. Why? I don't know. Laziness? I don't know. Self-absorption? How about everybody's favorite? Entitlement. Ooh. I'm entitled to faith. Really. Americans are so entitled, it's laughable. Scott and I were talking about some of the things that are going on down in Africa, and it's unbelievable. The things that they have to put up with. They don't even have toilets. Come on. Forget electricity. They don't even have toilets or running water or any of that stuff and we have the audacity not only to be (laughs) entitled to the creature credits or the creature uh, comfort excuse me in america but we translate that even into the spiritual life and we we approach god with an entitlement attitude like you give me faith because i'm entitled to it you saved me right so you owe me don't think that's how it works. Americans are so entitled, it's laughable. And it's true. It seeps into our spiritual lives even, which is just awful. Up here on the board, on that topic of entitlement issues, you are entitled to nothing other than what God decides to give you. And here's the thing. I was thinking about that because I got stuck there. I remember writing this point in my lesson. Then what? But who can understand what those things or their timing might be? You deserve nothing. You're entitled to nothing. What you deserve is the lake of fire. And he saved you from that. Are you entitled to anything beyond that, necessarily? Not really. Other than what he decides to give you. But then again, who can understand even those things? Go to 1 Corinthians 2.1, I want to show you. 1 Corinthians 2.9 is our target, but I wanted to read the whole chapter just to sort of amplify the point on the board. Who can understand what those things or their timing might be? 1 Corinthians 2.1 one. <clears throat> And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. That would be human wisdom in view there. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what I loved about Paul. Smartest guy on the block. All he really wanted to know was something simple. That's really it. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet we do do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, Who are passing away. And so you see that distinction between human wisdom and godly wisdom. It's the godly wisdom that we're after, of course. So we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature. We do speak uh, wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers Of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Again, the point on the board, and this is where we're approaching verse 9. You are entitled to nothing other than what God decides to give you. But even then, who can understand what those things or their timing might be? Look at verse 9. It says, But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love Him. In other words, you have no idea um, what you think you're entitled to. You have no idea what God has in store for you tomorrow. Do you? No. So how do we gauge those things? Verse 10, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For... Who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So who here doesn't want to possess, by grace through faith, more of the mind of Christ? Who doesn't want that who is more wise than jesus christ no one what did james say Jesus' own brother james 1 5 but if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask of god pray hasn't that been the uh, sort of the the uh the undertow if you would of these lessons if you want faith pray Lord, give me more faith. I lack faith in this area. You know, when you look in the mirror, when you really look in the mirror and you realize you're not all you're cracked up to be, that maybe your estimation of yourself is a little high and you have to say, I'm not there, obviously, Lord, give me faith because there's something going on in my life and it requires a certain conviction, a certain kind of uh, discernment, whatever, and I don't have it yet. I need it, though. See what he does because that's what Scripture says. But if you're never on your knees or even talking to God, you don't have to be on your knees to pray, remember. But if you're not praying to God, what do you expect? Or if you're praying to Him full or or dipsukos, double-minded, in your ways, what ought you expect but nothing from the Lord? So says Scripture. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask, of God pray who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him the amplified classic on Proverbs 4 7 which is what we just read the beginning of wisdom is again get wisdom skillful and godly wisdom for skillful and godly wisdom is the principal thing and with all you have gotten get understanding discernment comprehension and interpretation those are the sweet things if you would in the spiritual life? Who doesn't want those things? I mean, you could be holed up in a shack with no running water, no electricity, no toilet, no nothing, and if you have discernment, comprehension, and interpretation, you're going to be happy. You're going to be uh, content is probably the better word. Isn't that what everybody wants? Isn't that what Paul said? I go with, I go without. It doesn't matter to me. I just want to know Christ and Him what? Crucified. That's all I want to know. God says, take this. I'll take and eat. I'll eat. Steak tonight and dog food tomorrow. I don't care. Both of them have nutrition in them. I'll eat whatever he says to eat. Some of you are like, ah, yeah. <laughs> Funny story. Ate a, me and my buddy ate a whole box of dog jerky one night. And my fr- This was in high school. And my friend's like, what did you guys do? You ate all my dog food. <laughs> Not good discernment. <laughs> Not good interpretation of the events. So, what do we conclude? Pray for faith. That's been a theme. I know it came out heavy on Tuesday as well. If you lack a portion of something good, then ask God for more. It's that simple. I don't know what's going on in your life. You don't know what's going on in mine. But if you lack something, pray for it. It's that simple. But remember, you must ask with proper conviction, beginning with a desire to possess. That which is pleasing to God. Even your motivation. Like Solomon. Why did he want wisdom and understanding? So he could serve God's people. Why do you want wisdom and understanding? To serve yourself? Well, you might have a motivation problem then. But I've been praying. I've been going, yeah, but maybe God sees the heart and your motivation stinks. Maybe you're doing it for all the wrong reasons. Maybe you really don't have a heart to serve at all or very little. you got a long way to go, in other words. I don't know. But I know what the Bible says. The Bible says if you lack wisdom, pray for it. <laughs> Ask God for it. I didn't say that. The Scripture says that. I believe you have to respect the Lord God enough to seek His good counsel, as Job understood it up here on the board. Job twenty-eight, twenty-eight, And to man he said, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom and to depart from evil is understanding. Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom." Fear, respect. This takes us back to our primary course of study, where we just ended the topic of faith and uh, wisdom being an offshoot of that and have transitioned to commitment. Here's our working framework. Again, I'm still going pretty good clip because these are all points of review. We've been studying what the apostles lacked, why so that we can relate to them firsthand. We are, we learned very early in the series that there was nothing necessarily special about the apostles. They were just regular men. Uh, as far as the so-called educated crowd was concerned, they were uneducated. They were, from their ivory tower, simpletons, in a way. And... Um, We learned that very early on. There was nothing special about these individuals. What the apostles lacked was understanding, humility, faith, commitment, and power. We've done the first three. We're on the fourth. We'll get to power in a little bit. Here's a passage translation worth reiterating up here on the board. Proverbs 16, 1-2, in the Amplified, the plans and reflections of the heart belong to man, but the wise answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean and innocent in his own eyes, and he may see nothing wrong with his actions, but the Lord weighs and examines the motives and intents of the heart and knows the truth. Therefore, on that topic of commitment, commit your works to the Lord, submit and trust them to Him, and your plans will succeed if you respond to His will and guidance. And on Sunday God, the Holy Spirit, opened up the conversation a bit. And he said, listen, if you're going to walk in God's plan, if you're going to live this life, you have to be committed in every aspect to him. It's not some pocket on Sunday or Tuesday uh, or Thursday nights. It, we shouldn't compartmentalize. In other words, uh, Romans 12:1 says, give your entire body a living sacrifice because that's what's pleasing to the Lord. That's your spiritual form of service of worship to god so if that's the case then in which to commit our works to the lord then guess what our entire lives ought to be committed to the lord not just your time at church not just your time at the soup kitchen not just not there's anything wrong with those things not just your time here or there on the street evangelizing not just little pockets of time everything remember our god is a jealous god Imagine if you were, to put it in context, um, um, the greatest lover of all time, you just absolutely love this person, Uh, you'd be jealous if they turned their back on you, I don't know, 20 out of 24 hours a day? Would you not? Would you not be enraged if this person decided to turn their back on you and ignore you? Some of you had nightmares like that, right? Where loved ones are like, and you wake up angry, no? Nobody? Everybody's like, this guy's creeping me out, man. He's reading my mind. (laughs) The whole idea is that your entire life is supposed to be committed to the Lord, not just pockets. And that, honestly, folks, listen. If there's one thing he's been teaching us, he's saying it's a lot easier to be all in. It's a lot easier to be like Paul who said, all I want to know is Christ and crucified. I just want to be all in. It's way easier. Why? Because it's simple. If you play this game of, okay, I'm, I'm going to be spiritual for a little while, and then I'm going to be, you know, carnal for a little while. Then I'm going to be spiritual, and then I'm going to be this guy. and Then I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to do the seesaw thing, and I'm going to juggle all these things in my life. And it's a catastrophe. It's a catastrophe. Why? Because you haven't committed your life to the Lord. You've committed little pockets of your life to the Lord. You've compartmentalized him out. And when he has no use for you, you put him on a shelf to collect dust. And then Sunday rolls around and you come back. Or Tuesday or Thursday night rolls around. You bring him off the shelf and you bring him to church with you. Like he's a little tote bag. Commit your works to the Lord. Submit and trust them to him. And your plans will succeed if you respond to his will and guidance. Solomon wrote those words of wisdom in the Bible. And as we've been learning, Solomon was the wisest man of his time. Now, as a quick side note, I wanted to do this on Sunday, but he didn't give me the leeway. So the next five minutes is just a little side note. I want you to think about Solomon for a moment and other individuals that are wise like him throughout history. And maybe in your own life, you have some wisdom um, to point to. I want to point something out to you, and for some of you, this will be reason to take pause. Let's read a passage uh, first and see if you see what I'm alluding to. Go to 1 Kings 4.32. 1 Kings 4.32, again, just a little five-minute sidebar that uh, occurred to me from behind the pulpit, actually, on Sunday, but I didn't have the space to, to speak to it, so I'm going to speak to it now. 1 first, uh, first Kings 4.32. <clears throat> and this is Solomon. Again, talking about Solomon's wisdom, the Spirit, uh, the Spirit gave us some amplitude of that thing, just to prove to us how wise he was. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. Men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Do you see it? What do you see there? Let me, let me help you. Solomon's wisdom. True wisdom may begin with godliness through faith, but it isn't only limited to spiritual matters. In fact, when a person has the greater context of God's essence, wisdom regarding all earthly things locks into place also. In other words, look, when we talk about true wisdom, wisdom isn't just compartmentalized into spiritual matters. You also have wisdom about the world around you. Trees, plants, birds, the sky. There's nothing wrong with going to college and learning and becoming a meteorologist. There's nothing wrong in knowing an awful lot about the weather, let's say, and then attributing that and looking upon that in the light of the gospel truth of Jesus Christ, who's our creator. That's the attitude that he wants. That's how you're all in because you look around and everything that you see not just a church with a cross a 20 foot cross on it not just a pastor doing his job not just fellow believers everything the dirt in the driveway the lines in the road i don't the the, the power lines the trees everything you should look at that in awe because god ordained all of it and that's what true wisdom looks like, and that's what Solomon had. Solomon could have looked at anything and had wisdom on it. So he wasn't just this spiritual giant, like some people propose you're supposed to become, and that's the end of the road for the so-called spiritually mature, which I don't, I'm really not that fond of that term anyways. But there's no end point. There's not some just spiritual line in the sand, and it's, you know, wisdom is just about, you know, all the spiritual matters. Because we're not of this world, but guess what? We're in it. And who created it? He did. And who's moaning until we're all delivered from it? Nature is. We live, we're, in, we're encapsulated in something so astounding and beautiful that it's a crime not to have wisdom on it. It's a crime not to look out your window and see a hummingbird doing its thing. It's a crime. It's unbelievable how people can look at sunsets and say there's no God. I don't understand it. I honestly don't. I don't understand it. Have you ever seen the Rocky Mountains? I don't understand it. Picture of live, I don't know, about uh, Yosemite or, um, or, I don't know, the Great Lakes or any of these things. Uh, how about that rug <laughs> or the bug on it? <laughs> I'm serious, Scott. I'm serious. <laughs> that's true wisdom, and that's why it's included in the Bible. Do you think that was just like filler space? <laughs> you know, the writer's like, "Oh crap, I gotta fill some stuff in." And he was wise about trees and animals. God, any time because I'm running out of space, I gotta fill. It, give me this whole sheet. Oh man, no, that was for our edification. is for us to understand and behold, so that we're all in. And understand that, again, the point on the board, true wisdom may begin with godliness through faith, but it isn't only limited to spiritual matters. In fact, when a person has the greater context of God's essence, wisdom regarding all earthly things locks into place also. And this got me thinking. I was thinking about atheistic uh, science. Is that a word, atheistic? Ah, you'll go with it. Atheistic science, scientists spend their entire lives trying to figure out the universe, how it started, why we're here. And they labor over these things, do they not? Hours and hours and hours, and they pontificate, and they argue, and they fight with each other, which is always ugly. You ever see two nerds fight? I'm saying. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying being silly. So you got these atheistic scientists, they spend their entire lives trying to figure out the universe, how it started, and why we're here, etc., etc. Yet, here's the thing, the simplest child of God can answer all those questions and never lose a moment of rest. Which is the wiser person? The idiot who spends their entire life or the little child who says, I already know the answers. I know why I'm here. I know where the universe came from. I know how it started. What's wrong with you people? I thought you were smart. Who's wiser? See, it's not about intellect. It's about wisdom. Wisdom comes from what? Faith of a child. So that little side note was just to broaden your perspective for whatever it was worth. And that if you read the wisdom books even in the Bible, what you'll see is that the writers often wrote about earthly things and nature and understanding these things in the light of true wisdom. Man's folly. Most people seem to seek heaven or heavenly wisdom from an earthbound perspective rather than seeking earthly wisdom from a heavenly bound perspective. Does that make sense? Most people want to find God through creation. Someone was just telling me, was that you today? Most people want to find God. Most people I've met, especially unbelievers, want to find God somehow through natural thinking, through creation, in other words. They want to understand uh, heavenly wisdom through an earthbound perspective, rather than seeking earthly wisdom from a heavenly-bound perspective, Allah Colossians 3. Think about that. I think we'd all be a lot better off if we just understood the point on the board. May I even suggest we'd all be more committed, even, to the Lord's purposes? Food for thought. Changing gears a little bit on commitment. Here's what true wisdom says about commitment. And remember that commitment in the eyes of the Lord is from the same root system as making vows to him. Solomon wrote this, Ecclesiastes 5.4, in the Amplified. When you make a vow or a pledge to God, do not put off paying for it. For God takes no pleasure in fools who thoughtlessly mock him. Pay what you vow. Be a man or a woman of your word, in other words. God takes no pleasure in fools. Who just vow to this and vow to that and say they commit to this or commit themselves to that, but their heart's not in it. Their motivation is wrong. They have selfish motivation, uh, what have you. God takes no pleasure in fools. Now, here's where we can slow down a bit. Uh, Again, all that was points of review. We can review uh, just some final material from Sunday's lesson. On the topic of commitment. Remember, the way that we approached this was we got to that point in our list of five points of the things that the apostles lacked, and the Spirit said, Let's do a little sidebar on commitment, the doctrine of commitment first, and then we'll get into the specifics of how the apostles lacked said commitment. So, we're still just finishing that portion up. Satan has done a great job at destroying this concept of commitment in humanity in general. People make vows all the time that are vapid, void of integrity. And again, I would encourage you, and I just sent this to the Good News Today uh, for print, um, the options blog. Read it again. That was was one of my favorite blogs in a long time. Why? Because it reveals a lot of things about why people are, for lack of a better term, unsuccessful uh, regarding God's will in their life. It's because they've been duped. They think they have options that really, from God's perspective, don't exist. And Satan holds these options out as carrots. And he destroys families. He destroys children. He destroys churches. He destroys countries. He destroys just about any kind of organization there is. Why? Because to have these kind of organizations, there has to be a certain consensus called commitment, correct? And as soon as people start thinking there are other options other than to commit to this end goal, guess what happens? The unity fractures. And in the spiritual life, that's catastrophic because at the end of the day, we're after unity in the faith. So Satan's done a real bang-up job in general. and People make vows and commit to other people, and it's just awful because they have no real intention on taking that commitment any further than their own selfish desires. I remember writing that principle about eight years ago and speaking it from behind the pulpit. Most people have no intention of holding on to a commitment any longer than their own selfish desires are met. How many people do you know Hold on to a commitment for the other person. I don't know. Some of you are like, I've never done that. Every time I lose interest, I'm out of here. That's not commitment. That's not a vow before the Lord. Because the Lord says, be a man or woman of your word. I'm not saying we can't fail. We're talking about motivational issues. It's very possible you're very well motivated and then you fail because you're a (laughs) sinner. We're talking about motivational, we're talking about premeditative activities, people that go into certain kinds of commitments with little disclaimers and little out clauses in fine print, that kind of garbage. That's not real commitment. That's just hedging bet for your own benefit, and the flesh is really good at that. So. This echoes back to what the Spirit said earlier about being all in. If you're all in, is there, are there any other options? No. The answer is no. If you're all in, there are no other options. And as far as God is concerned, when you say yes, then it means what? Yes. That means you're all in. And when you say no, it means no. It means you're all out. But that has more integrity than the person goes, yes, no. No, (laughs) yes. Go ahead. Find yourself a good lawyer who you can go, yes, no. Satan's a lawyer. Satan's an attorney. He's also a creep and a serpent. These are the things we're learning about commitment. About ourselves. And if you know, if we've all, every one of us is flunked in this area, sadly, too many times the list, right? At least in my life. This isn't about condemnation. This is about growing up. This is about being set free. This is about learning what it means to be all in, it means casting off any options. It means when the Lord says, go here and do this, you do it. But but where am I going? Shh. Do it. I don't know where I'm going. I know that's called faith. Here's where we ended on Tuesday, James 5.12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. And that's a reference to the thoughtless or thoughtless use of swearing with wrong motivation. But your yes is to be yes, and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment, for God takes no delight in fools. Ecclesiastes 5.4 Oh, and by the way, Galatians 6.7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, this he will also reap. God's not into contracts disputes or lawyering. If you say yes, then it should be yes. If it's, you say no, then it should be no. So simple, right? Why is our world so complicated? Again, Satan, this is why, because Satan's done a great job, and so is the human flesh, at destroying this concept in humanity. In general, people make vows all the time that are vapid, void of integrity. Jesus had a lot to say about glorifying God through being men and women of our words. In fact, he said, up here on the board, we saw this on Sunday, Matthew 5:34, "And don't make any oath at all. <laughs> Just zip your mouth then." In context, if you recall, he was saying, "Stop making so many oaths. Stop making so many vows. Be more thoughtful about your commitment in my eyes, because if, if you're mine, you're my slave, think about us now, if you're his slave, then everything you do is under his watchful eye, and he's saying, I don't want you making all kinds of oaths, so yes becomes no, and no becomes yes, so just stop altogether with all this vomiting at the mouth. So make no oath at all. Jesus was not against all oaths, for even God makes them. In context here, in Matthew 5.34, he was cautioning people to not make flippant oaths, for in many cases they were used to manipulate and deceive others. And the Jews were notable for this, as we've noted. Matthew 5.37, But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. That was Jesus. So do you see how incredibly simple Jesus proposes we be? Do you see? Isn't every, let's face it, isn't every human interaction a transaction? I'm gonna stand in front of you and I promise not to punch you in the throat. (laughs) Isn't that an unsaid promise? I'm just saying. You could say whatever you want. I'm not gonna eat your sandwich. I promise to stand here because it's impolite not to eat your food. You understand? Every, every interaction with human beings is a transaction. There's some form of um, currency being traded there, whether you realize it or not. A lot of it's nonverbal, a lot, some of it's verbal, doesn't matter, some of it's um, social, et cetera, some of it's cultural, that kind of a thing. But there's always a transaction that occurs. Even two strangers on a the street, there's a transaction you stay on your side and I promise to stay on mine. And we won't brush shoulders because God forbid you hit my shoulder. It's, it's Monday and I'm miserable. <laughs> That's the transaction. Is it not? You see? there's always There's always this transaction, these little microcosm things that are going on. Jesus just said, look, not to derail. This is how simple it is. Just be a man or a woman of your word. And... Also, do you, see, so do you see how incredibly simple Jesus proposes we be, first of all? Do you see how his wisdom says to keep it simple in every aspect of life? And do you see how this world is designed to be just the opposite? Everything this world proposes in your life is to complicate your life, to take you away from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. That has been the message for the last three years from this pulpit. It's really simple. Simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. But the world is completely opposed to that. doesn't want you to think that life is simple. wants you to think it's complicated. It want to, wants to, to pepper you with all kinds of options. And as soon as options come in, the slave doesn't know what to do. As soon as other masters come a-knocking, I'll pay you a nickel more an hour. I'll give you this hottie over here. The world is designed to complicate your life. Remember that. You turn on the television. I heard it said um, the other day, and it's been in my mind for a while, for about a week now. Someone stated, I don't know who it is. Maybe you know who it is. They said, TV doesn't exist for the programs. It exists for the commercials. For real. And they were totally serious. They weren't even being tongue-in-cheek. They said, TV exists for the commercials so that the world can sell you garbage. The the, the stuff in between is just fodder for talking later on at, you know, at work or something. Did you see such and such? But it's the commercials. They're always selling you something. Some reason why you ought to be buying this thing because you didn't know it because you had your blinders on as a slave. You didn't know it, but you're ugly. (laughs) You didn't know it, but you have grotesque toenails. And you need this fungal cream that costs $37. Now you're insecure about your feet. You didn't know it. You're bald. This is news. You didn't know it, but you're dumb. You don't know you're dumb until someone tells you. Is that not true? How many people grew up poor and didn't know they were poor until they went out in the world and people were like, did you know you were really poor? Didn't even know until you just told me. Thanks a bunch. Now I'm insecure. I thought I was good. <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? OK, how about racism? Little kid's not racist. They don't, they don't become racist until someone tells them to be racist. Did you know you're black? I didn't even look. I knew I was tanner than that guy, but who cares? Do you understand what I'm getting at? It's unbelievable. These these are the things that complicate our lives. Who cares what color you are? Who cares how poor you are? Who cares? Jesus doesn't. I don't know. So consider your life right now. Just reflect. Are you spiritually exhausted or just physically exhausted? Are you spiritually exhausted or just physically exhausted. Jesus said in Matthew 11:30 For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's a difference, you see, so says the Bible, between spiritual and physical exhaustion. The Bible says to work hard as unto the Lord, for that is pleasing to him. So, at the end of the day, you will be undoubtedly tired from your labors. I mean, if you work hard physically, you'll be tired. Uh, otherwise, you might not be working that hard, I guess. I don't know. And that's a very good thing for many, very, many reasons, honestly. Not the least of which appear in the board. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. How about that? In other words, Jesus Christ said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He couldn't have been talking about hard labor. In that sense, he was talking about the ability to support you by grace spiritually. But what about hard labor? The Bible says you should work hard. Because if you don't, guess what? Idle hands are the devil's workshop. And and there's no such thing. I'm convinced of this. Now, some of you are going to be like, just give me space before you go jumping up and throwing stuff. There's no such thing as retirement. We all like, ha, This whole front row, all of a sudden you get cold. All the old people are like, where are you going with this, buddy? Yeah. Bill's like, I still got it. I'm taking my meds. There's no such thing as retirement. Let me explain. You might retire from a job. Okay, fine. Maybe like we've talked about, you put away a little money, you can retire. Are you supposed to sit there and do nothing? Are oh, you supposed to go out now, change hats, and go work for the Lord? Go evangelize somebody. Go spread the gospel. You cannot sit still because if you sit still, there's going to be trouble. I didn't say this. Go to 2 Thessalonians 3 6. Idle hands, definitely the devil's workshop. 2 Thessalonians 3 6. So you know you're supposed to work hard. or else there are real repercussions. I did not say this. This is not Pastor Ed postulating on your life or trying to convict you to go out there and get a second job or come out of retirement with a splash. Second Thessalonians, but you gotta have your perspective correct. And I do believe that, and you think about that tonight. There's no such thing as retirement. I do not believe that at all. I don't think, I mean, I do believe that 100%. There's no such thing as retirement because you never really lay down. You're supposed to serve the Lord, right? And as you grow up in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, who's better equipped than to serve? In the spiritual realm, in the realm of helps, in the realm of prayer, in the realm of whatever. If all you can do because you're like Frank hold up on a bed is pray, then that's your retirement. But darn it, keep working but work for the Lord now. 2 Thessalonians, but more practical than that, we have scripture to get to. 2 Thessalonians 3.6 Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. These are the shepherds. When necessary, they worked. Why? Because they didn't want to make be stumbling blocks. Obviously, some of these people were weak. And they also wanted to show an example. This is what it looks like to work hard. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you, not because we did not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you, so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then guess what? He is not to eat either. Ouch! Now, to put that into perspective, willing is the key word there. It doesn't say able. It says willing, because there's a lot of people out there that have legitimate reasons why they can't work right now. They're going through something real, and they just got to get over that or pass that whatever it is. This is a willingness to work. That person ought not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life. This is the devil, you know, the idle hands are devil's workshop. That's what happens. You're not working, then you're making trouble. You're undisciplined. That's why you should never retire. That's the point. That's where that came from. That's why I don't believe there's any such thing as retirement. Because as soon as you retire from everything, guess what happens? Ooh, undisciplined life now. Now you're in what? If you're not in your own head, you're in somebody else's head. Or you're in someone else's business and sticking your nose where it doesn't belong. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. So, I'm almost out of time. Back to the question on the table. Keep thinking about this. Are you spiritually exhausted or just physically exhausted? Are you committed to working hard as unto the Lord? How committed is a person who refuses to work hard? Fair question. How committed is a person who refuses to work hard? How committed is a person with entitlement issues? How much glory does a publicly known Christian bring to God if their workplace motto is, I want to work as little as possible? That's not wisdom. And this isn't, look, why would I care? Other than for your benefit. You really think I'm just trying to, you know, God's got the, you know, the whip out. And he's like, get to work. This is for your benefit. Because if you don't do these things, the blessings don't follow. If you don't do these things, you're going to be miserable. So you're going to be like, nah, I'm totally miserable at work. Something's wrong. Your perspective's wrong. That's all I can tell you. If you're miserable at work and you have no other reason, but I don't know. You're a complainer or an entitled fool. You, per, you need to change of perspective. There's a more deeply rooted issue in your head. Don't ask me to explain it because I don't want to go that deep in your sick head. The ones that didn't laugh are the ones I'm talking about. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> if you're if you're Workplace motto is, I want to work as little as possible, something's wrong. If, I'm, if I want to, work as little as possible. Not able, want. If I just want to work as little as possible, something's wrong. And that's not wisdom. Now, I know for sure that human wisdom even adds to that motto with something even more perverse. I want to work as little as possible and make as much money as the person busting their hump over there. Where is that in the Bible? This is what I'll close with. You know what? I can't find that supposed that supposed wisdom anywhere in the Bible, where it says work as little as possible and make as much money. This is your intention, in other words, as that person who's working really hard over there. And maybe you know you're really smart, and you've God gave you these grace gifts, and you're just whittling them away, and you work piddly. Amount of spend a amount of energy um, just so you can make as much money as the person who's working 80 hours a week that couldn't graduate high school. And the world doesn't pay them very much. That's an awful way to live. That's anti-biblical. I can't find that wisdom anywhere in the Bible. If it was there, I would teach it, honestly. But it's not there. And that's because it's a perversion. What I do find, and this is what I'll close with, what I do find is, in the Bible, is work hard as unto the Lord. What I do find is be satisfied with whatever the Lord blesses you with. And what I do find is don't be concerned about how or why the wicked are prospering. You see, as soon as you allow worldly wisdom to overtake whatever godly, biblical wisdom you have in your soul, you are doomed. You are doomed. Once again, that is the crux of the blog I wrote recently titled Options. I even had a little parable in there. Remember? The guy in the field? Some of you are like, oh yeah, Pastor. <laughs> I'm going to read that one. He keeps bringing it up. I guess I've got to read it now. <laughs> Last bit of wisdom. Lack of commitment. As soon as you think you can disobey the commands of the Lord God by no longer working as unto Him, you have chosen to depart from His gracious plan for your life. It's then and there that you've broken your commitment to Him. You are a slave. He is your master. He said, I want you to work hard as unto me. You're mine now. I redeemed you. I bought you out of the slave market of sin with my own blood you're mine. I want you to work. And I want you to work hard as unto me. And I want you to commit to me. I want you to go to that job that "Mm, maybe it's tough. Maybe every day you do come home completely exhausted, but I'm the one who ordained it for you. And you know it. And you know it. And I want you to do it. And I want you to do it. I'm not asking you to smile. I'm asking you to do it as unto me, whatever that means. I want you to commit to me. And when you do that, I, I, I promise I will bless you out. But see, most people never make it that far, that's the point, because they lack commitment. They don't have that perspective. They have God on a shelf somewhere, you see? They go to God on Sundays and Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then they run the rest of their life with the power of the flesh, and they wonder why they're exhausted in a completely downtrodden, depressed way. They wonder why they're fighting things like depression. I mean, I don't know what the, the stats are, but depression's really up, especially in our country. I mean, like, way up. Something's wrong, but what I see is depression's up and an acceleration away from the Lord is down or is, is up as well. Commitment to the Lord is down, depression up. What do you see? People can't handle their lives anymore. They can't handle the pressure anymore. So they fold. Why? Because they're uncommitted. they lack commitment to the Lord. They have God on a shelf and then they have the rest of their life, and they're trying, oh, they're trying so hard to make it work. And they're wondering why they're completely exhausted, both physically and spiritually. Because they got God on the shelf. Because they're not all in. Do You see, there's a divide in their life. God's over here, this is my life. That's a tragedy. When you know the truth in the Word of God, when you know what Jesus meant when he said, my burden is light, my yoke is light, my, bur- my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You know what I meant. <laughs> That's a tragedy in light of that. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful privilege to gather together as family. Thank you for always being honest with us and forthright. Thank you for never, never letting us escape with excuses or walk out of here with anything but the truth. Father, sometimes it stings, sometimes it's just so wonderful and sweet. Whatever it is that you've ordained for our lives, Father, we, we ask for the faith and the wisdom to accept it, which is always goodness. Father, we just pray for traveling mercies as we take these things out to a lost and dying world. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.